All right, so tonight um, we are dealing with a, uh, a hot topic. Um, why? Because I'm glutton for punishment, I guess. Um, women in ministry is the topic. Um, you know, last week we talked about um, essentially biblical manhood, biblical womanhood. I, I shy away from the term complementarianism. Um, only because while I would say that that's what I ascribe to, not everybody defines it the same. Um, so last week I just said, you know, we're going to talk about biblical manhood, biblical womanhood. You can call it what you want, but let's just look at what the Bible says about our roles and responsibilities. So that kind of, you know, uh, feeds into uh, our topic uh, this evening. <laughs> Uh, women in ministry, and and the reason for that is this, again, is a it's just a hot topic. It's it's been a hot topic, you know, really since the 1960s. Uh, what's that? Since the garden? You're right. You're right. Since since the garden, um, and uh, but may, maybe I should say that we're talking about it more, debating it more, um, you know, ever since the 1960s. Uh, at least in the United States, at least in, in this country. Um, there's lots of debate on the subject, so much so that um, I bought a book years ago. I don't know if it's in print anymore. I found it very helpful. Uh, I think it was published in 1986, and it's titled Four Views on Women in Ministry. Um, if it's still in print, it's worth reading. It's edited by uh, bon- uh, Bonadell and Robert Klaus. What was that? Four Views on Women in Ministry. And so, um, you know, the first one is the, uh, that, that is in that book. I had to go and, and find it and read all my highlights. But the first view is the traditional view, and that one is written by Robert Culver. And uh, in, in that view, he basically argues that uh, women cannot participate in ministry at all. Like, it is just men lead the prayer, the worship, the preaching, the teaching, everything. I mean... Um, you know, women are to be ministered to and not doing the ministering. Um, now, of course, because these are just one chapter, the way the book is written, each person writes their own view. They argue their own position, and then the other three authors uh, will write a response. So they can't get real into the weeds. Um, I walked away after reading his chapter wondering, okay, well, what about, like, nursery? Or, I mean, do you men doing the nursery as well? I mean... It'd be great to like have a conversation with him and ask him these sort of questions. But anyways, that's the argument that he makes in the book. The second view is a male leadership view, which is written by Susan Foe. And uh, she argues that women may not teach Scripture to men, but may read Scripture or pray publicly with their head covered. So she definitely believes that uh, men should be uh, in the leadership position. Only men can be elders. Uh, she does seem to make the argument that women can be deacons, um, uh, but nonetheless, she, she would argue that women can do some ministry, but it's limited. Um, then the third view, which wasn't really helpful uh, in this book, it's a plural ministry view. Walter Leefield writes this, and really the only thing he argues is that he, he, he spends a whole chapter basically saying that uh, we spend too much time arguing this point, um, that <laughs> we, we waste a lot of time arguing this, 
and uh, we sort of just need to get back to the Bible. It's like, well, okay, you know, I don't know. Someone should have made him rewrite the chapter. Uh, and then the last view is the egalitarian view, and that's what it's actually titled. And it's written by Alvera Mickelson. And obviously, you know, her position on that. I mean, she ends up arguing that women can be pastors. They can, they can do everything. They can do everything the men can do. Um, what's that? And better. And better, right. So that's, 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 that's her view. But the point is that, you know, there's, there's a spectrum of, of views out there. Like, what can women do in church? What are they, what are they allowed to do? What are they not allowed uh, to do? And so that's why... I dealt with biblical manhood and womanhood first. I thought that would lay the, uh, the foundation uh, for our conversation um, today. And so I want to start, um, I should keep track of my time. Um, I want to start by kind of laying the groundwork for, for this conversation, um, you know, before we really just jump right into defining um, what, what women can and, and can't do. Let's lay the groundwork. And the first thing I want to say is that in Scripture, in Scripture, men are given the responsibility of teaching God's Word to those under their care. I mean, that is very clear from the very beginning. Men are given that responsibility. Uh, we see that right at the very beginning in Genesis 2.15. And we looked at that last week, right? Genesis 2.15 says what? If anybody can flip there quickly. Whoever gets there first, you can just read it. So he took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And we talked about last week that the word for work there in the Hebrew is the word abad, right? It means to, to work, to cultivate, to tend to, um, to nurture, so to speak. And the word for uh, keep is the word um, shamar, which can also mean to protect or to guard, right? So Adam was given the responsibility of, uh, and we're told that the command, we, we, we looked at this uh, in verse 16, the command that they can eat of any tree in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is given to the man. Eve is not created until after that, which means what? Adam had a responsibility to communicate God's word to her and say, this is what the Lord has said. Um, and if she had questions about it, like, okay, so what do you mean that we can't eat from it? Like, we can't touch it. I can't get close to it, right? It was his responsibility to clarify any confusion that there may have been. His job in protecting her was not just physically, but protecting her spiritually, protecting her emotionally. And that entailed communicating um, God's will for their lives to, uh, to Eve. Um, Leviticus chapter... 10 verse 11 we see there that in the old testament you know when we look at the old testament we say you know who who taught the word of god well the prophets would proclaim the word of god as it was given to them as as god revealed information to them they proclaimed it they wrote it down right the book of isaiah but before the prophets you know before we you know you had moses and then there's like hundreds of years before the next prophet comes along who carries that title, that's actually going to be um, uh, Samuel, right? Samuel is the next official prophet from Moses. Well, from the time of Moses, the time of Samuel is like 500 years. So who was teaching, who was communicating the will of God to God's people? 
Anybody look up uh, Leviticus 10, 11? Yeah. What's it say? And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Right. And he's talking to Aaron, the high priest, right? So the, the high priest and the priesthood were given the responsibility of teaching. So Moses writes the Pentateuch, and then Moses, from God, says to the priest, it is your job to teach the word of God to the women and the children, to the people, right? And, of course, we know that only men could be priests. Um, again, and we looked at this last week, Ephesians 5, 25 to 26, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Um, washing her with the word of God that you might sanctify her. So again, husbands are specifically, directly given the responsibility to teach the wives the word of God so that they might be sanctified. And then Ephesians 6.4 says what? I can't really quote it, so what's it say? Ephesians 6.4. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right, fathers are to do that. What's interesting is is we see in the Bible that Scripture clearly gives the responsibility of teaching the Word of God to men. Uh, the command to teach God's Word specifically is nearly always given. I say nearly always. It is nearly always given to men with few exceptions, and uh, those exceptions typically... Um, have to do when the command is given to parents. For example, we see that in Deuteronomy 6, 6, uh, the, uh, which is the Shema, right? Deuteronomy 6, 6, 6. Well, it starts in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them. So in this context, the command is being given to all of the adults, all parents. This is what you do. You teach the Word of God to your children, right? But there, it's, it's given to both to teach the children. Um, we don't ever find a specific command given just to a woman or to a mother to teach uh, the Word of God. Other exceptions that some people try to go to sometimes is... Uh, 2 Timothy 1 5. 2 Timothy 1 5. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And then if you skip over to chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, right? Obviously from his grandmother and his mother. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So the trouble with using these passages is that these are descriptive texts, right? These aren't prescriptive. And uh, if if you're not sure what the difference is, uh, a prescriptive text is a command, right? God is prescribing you must do or not do. Descriptive is just describing an event or an action or something that has happened. And we always have to be careful about 
developing theology based on descriptive text. Uh, because just because what is true of one person may not be true of anyone else. Um, for example, the Apostle Paul, he's converted on the Damascus Road by seeing a great white light. We don't want to go around saying, well, unless you saw a great white light and were blinded for three days, you're not really saved, right? Because that's how Paul, um, you know, our, our, our wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ and in the Pentecostal church often want to make the argument that, you know, certain people spoke in tongues when they got saved. Therefore, you know, when you get saved, you ought to speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not really saved. But it's interesting that Paul's conversion, Paul doesn't speak in tongues, at least not at his conversion. There's no evidence of that. I know he talks about it later on, uh, but that doesn't happen at his conversion. So these are, these are descriptive texts. And, uh, and so, yes, and of course we know Timothy, of course, is, he's, he's half Jew, right? His, his mother is Jewish. His, his father's a Greek, so it would make sense that his mother taught him the Word of God, right? She taught him the, the, the Torah, uh, taught him the Pentateuch. Um, another one that is often used, or they try to use, is um, Acts 18.26, and you're probably familiar with that. That's where Priscilla and Aquila take Apollos aside, and they more accurately communicate to him the gospel because he didn't have all of the facts quite right. Problem is, we have no idea how much Priscilla contributed to that conversation, right? It says they took him aside, but what does that even mean? You know, maybe they spoke together, maybe they didn't, maybe she, you know, just participated. That's a really weak argument to try to use that text to argue that women can and should teach men or anyone theology or teach them the Bible um, because we have no way of knowing how much Priscilla uh, contributed to that to that conversation. When Paul teaches um, that women are not to teach or have authority over men, I think it's important to note that he grounds his argument in creation. I mean, that is important to note. You look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, right? So we're in 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And he says in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? Verse 13, for. So it's explanatory. Here's the reason. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now we know that Adam sinned as well. Paul is making the argument that Eve is the one who listened to the serpent and gave into um, gave into his uh, his manipulation. And so the point is that he makes two arguments: one, Adam was created first, and two, Eve was deceived first. And those are two facts that haven't changed, right? Yes. So this would clarify when you talk about the word was given to Adam before Eve was created. Right. Right. So it, it really solidifies that Genesis argument. Yes. It's kind of yes. Kind of, you have creation order and then you have sin order. Right. Creation order and then you have you have sin order. Um, so the point that the argument that Paul is making is that this is a creation ordinance. This isn't something that comes into play after the New Testament or in the New Testament church. This isn't something that comes into play 
in the law of Moses, that when Moses writes the Pentateuch, right, the, the priest can only be men. Paul is arguing this goes all the way back to the beginning. This is how it has always been uh, from the very beginning. This is how it should be from the very beginning. Um, and so these are two facts that haven't changed. And so the question then that oftentimes comes up is, is the prohibition of women teaching men limited to the Lord's Day worship, right? Because Paul is make, making very clear, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over men. First of all, let me back up because there are some who want to make the argument that, well, women can teach men as long as they're not doing it with authority. So you can invite a woman into the church to preach, but if she's not an actual elder or a pastor, then that's fine. But that, again, is really a superfluous argument because how do you preach the Bible without authority? The Bible in and of itself is authoritative, right? If you're saying, thus saith the Lord, if you're saying this is what Scripture says, this is what God says, you're teaching with authority and you are exercising authority over whoever it is you're instructing. So again, that's a weak argument, but also the fact that the way that Paul words it, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. In other words, Paul's saying it's, it's either or. You can't, you can't do one, you can't do the other, and you certainly can't do both, is what Paul is saying. She cannot do this, and she cannot do that. She cannot teach uh, men, and she cannot have authority over men. Um, so these are two different things that uh, women cannot do, and uh, either together or separately, it, it doesn't matter. But oftentimes, this raises the argument, okay, so Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is the pastor of the church in, in Ephesus. And so Paul is giving Timothy instructions on how to uh, organize the church, right? You're a pastor. I'm writing to you, right? He gives them instructions on the qualifications of, of elders and deacons and <coughs> ministry to widows, etc., etc., so there are those who will want to make the argument that, okay, but this is in the context of church worship, right? So, and this question was actually uh, raised to, to Al Mohler not long ago. Um, I think it was mid-November on his uh, briefing show. Um, someone emailed him and said, you know, I'm a Southern Baptist um, uh, minister, and uh, I, I don't believe, you know, that women can, can, can preach from the pulpit or be pastors. They can't hold the office of elder. But can they teach in an adult co-ed setting? Can a woman teach in a, a setting like this, a midweek home Bible study? Um, or are we just talking about corporate worship? Um, I, was, I was pleased to hear Al Mohler say that they cannot teach an adult Sunday. He doesn't address... Uh, of course, the question didn't ask that either. It just said, can, can, a, can a woman teach a co-ed class such as a son, an adult Sunday school class? And he was very clear, no, that that can't be done either. And, and I think he's correct in that. Um, you know, that was an issue that I, I ran into at the, the ETS conference that I went to recently. You know, there are more and more women who are getting PhDs in theology and are becoming New Testament and Old Testament professors at seminaries and they're teaching classrooms and they're training the next generation of 
pastors uh, to go out and minister. And so at this conference, there were certain sessions that were a, a female PhD professor was going to read her theological paper and present it. Um, and I wasn't going to go to those. I, I looked at a few and I thought that sounds interesting, but I'm not going to go sit in on that um, because I don't think it's appropriate. And the reason being is because even though Paul is writing this letter to Timothy and he's talking, okay, you're a pastor, Timothy. I understand that, you know, you don't, you don't know how a church runs or how it should be organized and he's giving them instructions. Paul grounds his argument in creation, right? That's the key in creation. Um, and, uh, and so this always applies that in terms of men, women teaching the word of God to men or having authority over men. Um, because if you're going to say that this only applies within the church, then to be consistent, you would have to make the argument, well, then it's only on Sunday mornings that women can't have authority over the men. But other than that, they can, they can, run, they can rule the roost, um, essentially. Uh, and again, I think that just goes against biblical manhood, womanhood. It goes against many of the passages that we looked at last week. It goes against Ephesians 5. Um, so uh, I, I do not think that, uh, that this only applies to Lord's Day worship. I think that in this kind of a setting or in Sunday school, Paul is making the argument that women can never teach Scripture uh, to, uh, to men with few exceptions. And, and when I say that, you're wondering, okay, now here he goes again, right? Um, we'll get there. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. Um, but there are some exceptions where that isn't always the case, and we'll, we'll get there in a, in a moment. Um, Paul also, I think this is worth noting, in this text, it's interesting to note that Paul juxtaposes his argument over and against what men and women should and should not be doing. When you look at the entire context of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, go back to verse 8. Paul says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Lifting, it's in, he doesn't say men and women. The men should pray, right? It, this is something that has driven me nuts for years. Um, and, and I'm sure it's not news to you, but in a Bible study, in a prayer meeting, it is difficult to get men to pray. Most of the time, men don't want to pray. And most of the time, women are just more than willing to pray. And that's not a bad thing. Women, it's okay for women to pray. They want to pray. They want to talk to God. But why is it that Paul says, why does he only address the men in this? Because it is a leadership role. It's a way of leading by example. It's a way of leading your family by example with the dad or the husband praying and teaching his children, teaching his wife, this is how we pray in the church, in a biblical context. Men should lead by example and be the ones willing to pray. Um, and so Paul commands, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now notice what he says for the women. Likewise also that women should 
adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submission. Very interesting how Paul, these are two different things. When Paul talks toward the men, men need to be praying. When he talks toward the women, they need to uh, adorn themselves respectfully with modesty. They need to have a submissive spirit. They need to be willing to learn and, uh, and be taught uh, and be ministered to um, quietly. And Paul, you know, this isn't the only place Paul says that. Um, in 1 Corinthians, we haven't got there yet, but, but we will. 1 Corinthians, you go back to 1 Corinthians uh, 14. 1 Corinthians 14, middle of verse 33. Paul says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Why? For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, so what does Paul mean by that? Well, I don't think he means that, you know, before, after the service, you know, once women walk through the door, you know, they can't, they can't speak a word. I don't think that's what he's talking about. First of all, we have to understand the context that the, the first, the New Testament church were house churches. In fact, historically, we know that the first church building is not established where people traveled and they actually had a building that was just specifically for that purpose alone until the third century. But they were basically home churches prior to that. People met in homes. So they were more of a casual setting. And it was uh, oftentimes the one who did the teaching. It would be more of a dialogue um, where kind of like here, you know, you can raise your hand, ask a question, make a comment. Um, Paul is saying that in that setting, women should not speak. They should not be raising their hands. They should not be interjecting. They should not be offering um, their opinions. And, uh, and he says if they have a question or something they, they want clarification on, it's interesting he says they should ask their husbands at home. Right? You write it down. You get home. What did he mean by this? Um, and so Paul makes that argument. And I think the reason... The reason he is, is uh, making that argument um, is because women reflect their headship. Women reflect their headship, and they are, and so you look at um, 1 Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11.3, we talked about this before, we've gone over this in church. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. And then when you skip down to seven to nine, Paul writes, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So, in all of these arguments that Paul makes, he, he keeps going back to the garden. He keeps going back to the garden with his understanding that the man was created to be the one to nurture, to teach, and to protect the woman, spiritually, theologically, whatever the case may be. 
which means that the woman was designed to be ministered to and not doing the ministering. She was designed to be protected and not be the protector. And so Paul says, you know, women in church, in the context of worship, um, ought to uh, remain silent. It doesn't mean, again, that they can't pray, because Paul will address that in 1 Corinthians as well. Um, And Susan Foe makes the argument in her chapter that a woman can pray or prophesy as long as she has a head covering. Um, Whatever that is, that can be debated. Uh, But as long as she has a head covering, she's properly adorned in church, then she can pray. Um, So Paul, I think, is within the context of what Paul is talking about, he's limiting his, 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 his argument to uh, women not teaching or asking theological questions or making theological uh, comments, but rather she should do that at home. Part of that has to do with the fact that women are to reflect uh, the glory of their husband, right? Um, how wives behave how they carry themselves, what they say or don't say, ultimately is a reflection on their husband. It's a reflection on their leadership. Um, as I was preparing this lesson, you know, I, there has been, in the, the many years that I've taught Bible studies, um, there have been, you know, numerous occasions where uh, a wife would raise her hand and blurt something out, and I can see the look on her husband's face. He's thinking, I can't believe she just said that. Um, you know, those are the situations that Paul has in mind. Um, he is the spiritual head. She is to be learning in a submissive spirit and remain quiet. And if she has a question, she should talk to her husband. It's, this is one of the reasons you've heard me say before that if there is a difference of opinion between myself and a woman's husband, defer to your husband, right? Go to him. He says, I disagree. With, with Hexen, then you should defer to his position um, because he is your primary spiritual head and not me. I shepherd the flock on a macro level, but husbands and fathers shepherd the flock on a micro level. Um, Peter makes the argument that women are to be honored as the weaker vessel. Um, you look at First Peter three seven. First Peter three seven. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, it was interesting. I was watching a um. um a short video, an interview with um, Doug Wilson earlier today. Um, and, I, and I appreciated the fact that he said, you know, first of all, uh, Paul used the word, he says that women are the weaker vessel and we have to deal with that. What does that mean? Because it has to mean something. Um, what does Paul mean by that when he says that they are the weaker vessel? And I think he's right when he makes the argument that it's not just in a physical sense. Um, we get that, that women are physically not as strong. I mean, that, that is, you know, in our face nowadays with all of these transgender male athletes wanting to compete as women and just dominating women's sports. 
Um, but I think it means more than just that as, uh, as well. I think women, uh, in the mind of Paul, in the mind of Peter, are weaker physically, but also even on a spiritual sense, in a, in a spiritual way to some degree. Um, and here's where I get that from. Well, first of all, uh, 1 Timothy 2.14, right? What is, uh, first, we just looked at that. 1 Timothy 2.14 says what? Let's see if I can get there quickly. 2.14, Paul makes the argument And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. She was the one that was manipulated by the serpent. She never should have been talking to the serpent in the first place. But then we also see in 2 Timothy 3, 6. 2 Timothy 3, 6. uh, we'll We'll start before that to give it context. Uh, we'll start at verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unapproachable, slanderous, uh, 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 without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. Right? Things are going to get really bad. Avoid such people. Then he says, For among them are those who creep into households, and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, right? What's interesting is that you don't see these sort of comments written about men, you know, that, 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 that um, people preaching false doctrine will, will capture weak men and they will be led astray. But we have Paul talking about Eve was deceived first. Then you have Paul saying, you know, look, there's going to come a time where People are going to prey on weak women and they're going to lead them astray with false doctrine and false teaching. It would appear to me that in the mind of Paul and in the mind of Peter that women are to be protected by the men physically and spiritually. If women were just as strong as men spiritually, then they wouldn't need protecting. The fact that they need protecting physically, spiritually, um, and at least one woman uh, that I found online, I posted one of her, her, her articles, uh, one of her little clips on Facebook. Some of you saw it and liked it. But apparently she wrote, she wrote a book recently. There's another video where Doug Wilson is interviewing her about this book. And, um, and it's in the book, I forget the, the name of the title, but it's something like, um, you know, getting, getting control of your emotions. And she talks about the fact that, you know, Women are very emotional and they need to learn to control their emotions because when they can't, it just wreaks havoc on, on everybody else. Um, what's that? Is that his daughter? Okay. I did not know that. Um, so she, that would explain why she sounds sharp. Um, so Eve was given the role of being protected and not protecting. In the garden, Eve was the one who was manipulated by the serpent and not Adam and this seems to be the trajectory of the argument that both Paul and Peter are making. Okay, so with that as the groundwork, uh, laying the foundation, what may women do in ministry? Well, number one, women may minister in any way 
that Christians are commanded to minister in a general sense, right? In a general sense. Here's what I mean by that. Romans chapter 12. I know some of you ladies are memorizing Romans 12, so this is all sound familiar to you. But Romans 12, 9, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, uh, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. These are things that all Christians should be doing. So these are ways that women can minister. They can minister to the, they can contribute to the needs of the saints. They can show hospitality. They can strive to outdo one another in showing honor, right? So there are things that all Christians should engage in in terms of ministry, feeding the poor, feeding the hungry, helping your neighbor. Um, And so those are ministry opportunities that every woman can participate in because all Christians should be doing that. However, not everyone can nor should teach God's word, right? Not everyone can nor should teach God's word. First of all, from 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, elders are specifically commanded to preach the word. Elders are commanded to teach the word of God to the congregation. From Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and following, um, husbands are commanded to teach the word to their wives, to wash them with the word of God so that they might be sanctified, so that the day of judgment, uh, husbands may present their wives to Christ spotless without wrinkle. And that's why I am constantly emphasizing the men. They have got to read theology. Even if it's not a big, giant book, they have got to be studying God's word um, so that they can teach their wives the word of God. From Ephesians 6, 4, fathers are commanded to teach the children the word of God. That is their responsibility to be the primary teachers. Now, there is scripture, there is scripture which encourages us to listen to our mother's teaching. We do have that. Uh, Proverbs 1, 8 is one. But even there, there aren't very many. I only found two. These were the only two that I found. Um, Proverbs 1 8. If I can ever get there. Somebody read it if you get there first. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Right? So there's that, but then there's also in 620, almost the same wording. Proverbs 620. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. So there is scripture that encourages us to not <clears throat> forsake our mother's teaching. But nonetheless, uh, we don't see any uh, verses in the Bible commanding mothers to teach the children God's word. I was not able to find one. The only play, the closest you get is where parents are commanded to teach the children the word of God. We have here where sons are told listen to your mother's teaching, but I was not able to find any verse that as a prescriptive text commanding mothers to teach the Bible to, uh, to the children. Um, however, neither does Scripture forbid mothers from teaching, right? We don't want to 
we don't want to think that that must mean the opposite. So what, moms can't teach the Bible to their kids? They can, right? They can. Um, the Bible doesn't forbid it. The only point I'm trying to make is that there is no clear scripture commanding women to teach God's word to anyone. Not to other women, not to children. There is no, but there are many commandments that specifically command men teach the word of God. Elders are commanded, teach the word of God to the congregation. Husbands are commanded, teach the word of God to your wives. Fathers are commanded, teach the word of God to the children. Um, Those with the gift of teaching are commanded to teach. Remember, I started by saying not everyone can nor should teach God's word. So we're looking at, well, who can teach God's word? Who should teach God's word? Um, Elders should. Fathers should. Husbands should. Those with the gift of teaching should. Romans 12, 7, where he lists various gifts. And those who have the gift of teaching, Paul says, should teach. If you have the gift of teaching. (laughs) Now Carla's whispering. (laughs) Um... It's a good question. What if you're a woman with the gift of teaching? Um, limiting teaching. Well, first of all, and I'm going to get there. Um, limiting teaching positions. And, and this is the other thing to keep in mind. Limiting teaching positions is strongly encouraged in the Bible. James 3.1. So not only do we have all of these verses where certain individuals are clearly told you teach the Bible, you teach the Bible, you teach the Bible, you teach the Bible, and they're all male positions, by the way. Then we have James 3, 1 that says, let there not be many teachers among you, knowing that you will be under a stricter judgment. Yes? What do you do in the absence of men? Yeah, it's a great question. What do you do in the absence of men? And I'm going to get to that next. I'm going to get to that next. Generally, Christian women are commanded to defend their faith, right? Because all Christians are commanded to do that. Look at uh, 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15 says... But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, right? And so this is all Christians need. So what do you do when your neighbor, who is a man, sees you out watering your garden and says, hey, you know what? You're a Christian, right? Well, yeah. You go to church, yeah. You know, I'm curious about this Christianity stuff. I mean, what what do you do in that situation? Oh, wait a minute. I can't. No. Scripture says, always be prepared to make a defense. Um, the Great Commission, we are commanded to proclaim the gospel to all. Is that not teaching the Bible on some level? Of course it is. You're talking to your unbelieving neighbor who happens to be a man. He's wondering, what is this gospel thing all about? Well, let me tell you. Once you open the Bible and you begin to, you're teaching Scripture, but that is something that Scripture 
commands us to do. All Christians are commanded to proclaim the gospel. Um, with children, right? Um, Paul applauds the fact that Timothy learned the Bible from his grandmother and from his mother. We're going to see in a moment, Titus 2 says that, uh, you know, women are to teach other women how to love their children and to teach what is good. Uh, so, you know, can moms teach the Bible to their children? Yes, of course they can. I mean, that's where, again, uh, Proverbs 1, 8, 6, 20, do not forsake the instruction of your father or your mother. Well, clearly mothers, you know, um, Christian fathers and mothers are going to teach more than just uh, life skills. Primarily, we're going to teach them the Bible. We're going to teach them the Word of God, and that can be done. Um, so in a general sense, you know, Christian women are commanded to defend their faith, to proclaim the gospel, um, but specifically. So now when we're looking for specifics, right, there's all these passages specifically addressed to men uh, to teach the word of God. The closest we come to women being specifically commanded to teach something is in Titus 2, 3 and 5, 3 to 5. So we go to Titus 2, verse 3. Paul writes to Titus. Um, so again, Titus pastoring the church on, on Crete, uh, which is a church plant. Paul starts the church, leaves Titus there, he moves on. Then he writes in this letter to kind of help him along. And he begins in verse 1, But as to you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, Titus. Right, teach what accords what aligns with biblical truth, which is older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self control, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. And older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Well, what does that mean? Now, had Paul ended that sentence right there with a period, they are to teach what is good, period. I mean, you could have, we could have filled this verse with all kinds of stuff. But he goes on to clarify what he means by that. Teach what is good and, right, so there's a conjunction, which means that what he's about to say ties into what he just said. Teach what is good and so train, that is in the teaching of what is good, so train the young women to, number one, love their husbands and children. Number two, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And again, I think it's so important, the reason that Paul gives, that the word of God may not be reviled. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to share the gospel with people over the years, and they've said something along the lines of, well, you know what? Church is just filled with a bunch of hypocrites anyway, so I'm not going to go there. Um, there's a reason they think that. Because so often Christians will say we believe one thing, but then we live our lives completely different. We say we believe this is the Word of God, but then we don't follow it. right? Um, and so Paul says, look, you know, make sure that you teach men to live a certain way. Teach women to live a certain way so that the word of God may not be reviled. So Christians would not be looked at as, oh, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You don't really live out what you say you believe. 
Um, you know, you talk about these roles of men leading in the home and wives being submissive, but yet when I go into Christian homes, I don't see that. I see the complete opposite. I see role reversal. So it's all talk and you're not walking the walk. So Paul says, make sure that they're doing this so that the word of God uh, may not be reviled. Now, when reading this, right, obviously, um, if a older woman is going to teach a younger woman um, how to love her husband and to love her children and to be self-controlled and pure and working at home and kind and submissive to their own husbands, she is to teach these things from a biblical worldview, which means that you can't teach these things biblically without using the Bible, right? An older woman has to be able to open the Bible and say, this is what Scripture says about how we love our husbands, about how we love our children, about how we manage our home. And so, so here's where, right, I said that um, there are some areas in which women can teach uh, the Bible in these areas, but this does not equate to teaching all subjects within the Bible, right? That's where too oftentimes churches, theologians, women, Bible teachers, they just, they go sideways um, because they, they make this argument, they make this, this, this chain argument that, well, we have to teach what is good and we have to teach women how to love their husbands and love their children and be pure, which is holiness, which is sanctification. And of course, you really can't understand sanctification unless you understand justification. And you can't understand justification unless you understand the deity of Christ and the inerrancy of Scripture. Therefore, women should really just teach systematic theology um, to all of the women that are out there because all of that is wrapped into this. And that's where you're taking an ounce of jelly and you're trying to spread it too far. Um, or a theological phrase that is often used, you're placing too much weight upon the text and it can bear, right? You're placing too much weight upon the text that it is able to bear. Um, because doctrines of the Christian faith, core doctrines of the Christian faith, need not and should not be taught differently to women or by women. There seems to be this false notion out there that if women are going to understand completely the doctrine of justification by faith alone, it has to be taught by a woman, right? Because for whatever reason, they'll teach it in a different way that women will understand it, and that's just ridiculous. The doctrine of justification by faith alone is only taught one way. There is only one doctrine, and it applies to both men and women the same. The Trinity, the inerrancy of Scripture, the deity of Christ, the atonement, these are things that apply to both men and women the same. They are to be taught to both men and women the same. And so women, according to Paul, are limited to these areas. And this actually makes sense, teaching the younger women how to love their husbands. It would make sense for a woman to teach another woman how to love your husband, right? How to love your children, how to be workers at home. These are the areas that women are limited to when it comes to teaching God's word. They can um, teach the Bible limited to these realms. 
Um, so when we talk about women in ministry, right, um, women can, first of all, just to kind of summarize now, women can be involved in any ministry that any Christian can be involved in. Um, if we have a, you know, a church has a, a food pantry, sure, they can be there. They can hand out food. If they have a clothing closet, yeah, they can be there. They can hand out clothing. Um, if there's an evangelism ministry, we're going to go to the park, hand out tracts, and share the gospel. All Christians are commanded to do that. They are not allowed to hold the position of elder. Uh, that is limited to men only per uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. They're not allowed to hold the position of deacon. I believe that office is limited to men as well. Uh, you combine 1 Timothy chapter 3 also with Acts chapter 6, where the first deacons chosen are all men. The apostle Paul, uh, or the apostles are very clear, choose from among yourselves seven men of good reputation to fill these roles, um, and they choose seven men. So they're setting the model there. Now, that's a descriptive text. I get that. But when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, that's a prescriptive text. And when Paul talks about the qualifications of a deacon, he uses masculine pronouns uh, throughout. And so I think the office of deacon is clearly limited uh, to men only. Teaching the Bible, just teaching the core doctrines of the Christian faith, should be limited to men uh, within, within the church. And when I say within the church, I'm not talking about just on the Lord's Day. If a church has a midweek study, uh, a, a Sunday school um, to adults, um, men should be the one who are teaching the Bible in terms of teaching the doctrines of the Christian faith. Um, women should be limited to teaching what the Bible, this is a prescriptive text, what the Bible prescribes that they ought to be teaching. Um, now, this is a quiet group tonight, and I, I may have short-circuited uh, the questions and comments because of what I said. Uh, Feel free to ask me a question if you like or if you want me to clarify something. Maybe I said something that didn't make any sense and you need me to clarify. Happy to clarify. No, I, I thought it was great. I just, but when I was going back to my question about in the absence of men, right. so part of that, I guess I should have been a little more clear. What if men refuse to do what they're supposed to do? Then the women sit quiet long enough <laughs> until the men start doing something right right I mean I think that that's just the problem where we're at right now there's so many weak-willed men that they just don't do what they're supposed to do yeah so the women say you're not doing it either right yeah you're absolutely right well, I'm not talking about you I mean, you can I mean there's a right. difference there there's a huge yeah. difference what happened to you right. was allowed by God so yeah. that's different I mean I yeah. read the Bible to you because you can't do it for yourself, yeah. so that's, that, that's different. Yeah, I, and I think the women just, in when it comes to ministry, um, you know, and, I, and I've said this before, that in our church, um, I want to see the men stepping into, into leadership roles. And, and if we don't have men willing to do that, I would rather just not do it. Um, uh, but that's kind of on a, on, a, on, a, on a high level, on a more basic level, um, you know, and again, I said this before, in Bible studies, prayer meetings, um, this is just my experience, and it's not just mine. I've talked to other pastors, and, it, and it's the same, that when, when a pastor says or a Bible study leader says, does someone want to start us off in prayer? 
probably 80% of the time it's a woman. Um, and so here's what I think. The women should just sit quietly for a long time <laughs> and force the men to start us off in prayer um, because that is their role and uh, don't let them off the hook. Um, you know, women, if you want to be your husband's helpmate, don't let them off the hook in terms of their leadership responsibilities. Um, you know, if you have a husband that doesn't want to say grace at the dinner table, you just sit there until the food gets cold and we're going to wait until you say grace. Um, and, uh, you know, encouraging them to do family worship. Uh, you look tired, honey. It's been a long day of work. Why don't you have a seat? Oh, here's a Bible. <laughs> we're all sitting in the living room. Why don't you tell us something from that Bible? Um, and uh, encourage them to step into those leadership roles. Part of this is our culture has weakened men. It's, it's um, feminized a lot of men in, in, in ways that we often don't even realize it. I've said it many times, and I include myself in this statement, is that in our modern American culture, we truly are like fish that don't even know we're wet. We are more influenced by the culture than we even realize. I am more influenced by the culture probably than I realize. Um, but it's also the result of the fall. Ever since the fall, men are far more willing to abdicate their God-given responsibilities, and women are very willing to just take those. And you know, I'll do it for you, right? I'll lead the family in family worship. I'll, you know, drag us to church. I'll find a church for us. I'll call the churches and ask them questions and I'll, I'll get us to church on Sunday morning and men need to step into those they need to step into those roles um, and uh, so yeah and, um, and I can't remember if it's in our bylaws or not or if I just had this conversation with someone I'm, I'm, I think I had this conversation with Jacob we were talking about like down the road you know, um, Sunday school, what that might look like for our, our church. Um, I'd like to see Sunday school. Um, but, and this is, you probably may have gotten this out of our bylaws that we just wrote. Um, you know, I'd like to see Sunday school, but I'd like to see Sunday school where the children are in Sunday school. And we have Sunday school classes up to the age of 12. And then at 13, they ought to be in the adult Sunday school class. There's no reason why a 13-year-old cannot sit in a setting like this or an adult Sunday school class, and learn. You know, everything that I'm saying, a 13, 14-year-old should be able to learn, and we need to start training them and preparing them for adulthood. We always say that. The best way to do that is to let them interact with the adults and not put them off by themselves in a room full of adolescents and a youth minister who acts like an adolescent. Um, you know, we need to bring them around the adults and let them learn by example, let them learn by watching our example and by our, our model. Um, and so that's how, you know, uh, and again, I, I think that's, that's the more biblical form of youth ministry. Um, I thought you were going to ask, I'm going to come to you in a minute, Terry. I thought you were going to ask, like, what about in a missionary setting? Uh, and, you know, and again, a, a woman is living in a foreign country. Maybe she's not even going there as a missionary on purpose. She's living in a foreign country, shares the gospel with her neighbor. He gets saved. The family gets saved. Three families get saved. 
She's the only one who knows the Bible. They're coming to her. What do you do in that? She does have to teach them. She has to teach, but very quickly and as soon as possible, she has got to try to train up a man. When I say train up a man, you know, I think the biblical way to do that would, would be to maybe start handing him some books, you know, by J.I. Packer, R.C. Sproul, right here. Read this stuff, right? Read this systematic theology by Wayne Grudem, right? Once you've done all that, okay, you've got to take over. You're the first elder. You're taking over. I'll be in a support role. Um, as quickly as possible, she, she has to hand that over. But in that situation, she has a biblical responsibility, a biblical duty to disciple them, right? That's the Great Commission. Make disciples of all, uh, uh, you know, baptizing the name of the Father and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Discipleship is a part of evangelism, and so that's important. Yes, Terry. I just need clarification on how this kind of thing should run for Noah. <laughs> <laughs> um... I think that in, in, this kind of, in this kind of setting, um, because we do church so much differently, and, um, as, and that's why I try to emphasize the context of what Paul is saying, uh, that, that the way they did church there was probably modeled more on the synagogue. Uh, when the Jews went to synagogue, it was more of a dialogue. Um, and there was, a, there was a back and forth, and Paul is saying that ought not to happen. The way we do church today in the United States, that doesn't happen. But in this, in this setting, this, this isn't church, first of all. This isn't Lord's Day worship. Um, in, in our modern cultural context, I view this as more of a classroom setting, as more of a class. And just as if we were in a classroom, uh, you know, I, I want you, I encourage you to ask questions. But I will say this, um, I will say this, that for the other wives, um, they need to go home and talk to their husbands about, how do you want me to handle this? Can I ask questions, or should I run them by you first, or would you like me to just not say anything and go home and ask you? So right now, I'm answering you, um, but the other women really need to talk to their, their wives. I don't think, I'll say this, I don't think it's a sin that, you know, if, if, if a husband says, no, yeah, you can ask questions, you know, because she has his permission, and, and that's fine. Ask whatever you want. Um, but, um, but it's interesting, you know, I wanted to point out those texts in that Paul, you know, is, is emphasizing that women are to be ministered to and not doing the ministering. That was the point I was really trying to make. They are to be taught and not doing the teaching, if that makes sense. Good question, though. <laughs> Terry's like, can I say anything? <laughs> anything else? Nope. All right. Well. All done. <laughs> all right. Let's close in prayer. All, all the women are like, I don't know if I should say anything now. <laughs> Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of topics beforehand, and then into tonight, kind of alluded to, but for uh, my little one here, would like a very quick overview of the concept of women with their head covering. Ah. And, and kind of what that may mean from today's standpoint. Sure. Um, so, a, the quick answer is. 
Um, Paul is talking about a head covering in that passage. Um, I do believe the head covering uh, is a woman's hair, long hair, or at least a feminine hairstyle, because what is long is debatable, right? Like, how do we define that? Um, but it is a, a woman's long hair. It's her glory. It's designed to be her head covering, because primarily what Paul is concerned about in that passage, he's primarily concerned with men and women maintaining gender distinctions that women ought to look like women and by doing so they are at least visibly saying that they submit and accept to their biblical roles as women and men ought to look like men and there shouldn't be a blurring of that so that's the the short answer any others all right well let's pray Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, um, Lord, as we wrestle with these texts that um, to modern ears can sound so archaic and maybe even a little backwards, um, Lord, we we recognize that uh, if we struggle to understand your word, it's not because there's anything wrong with Scripture but it's because sin clouds our judgment. And uh, we see in a mirror dimly. Um, our sin makes it difficult to, to understand Scripture clearly. And so we do pray, Father, that you would help us to submit to your word, to apply what Scripture says clearly, um, even if the world that we live in or the culture we live in screams the opposite, Lord recognizing that uh, that ultimately it's about wanting to please you. It's about wanting to live in obedience to your word. Um, we pray that you would help us, both men and women, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, uh, to accept, to embrace our God-given roles and responsibilities that, uh, that you have given us so that we might bring you the greatest glory, so that the word of God might not be reviled by the world. And so, Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.